the person that they said was my dad wasn't, that that's why I didn't look like anybody. A story that she told us about my sister being kidnapped and, and the way that they, they told it every time was, oh, the only reason he took her was because she was in diapers. No, the only reason he took her was because she was his and I wasn't. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 184. And I bet some of you are brand new NPEs. A lot of the listeners to this podcast have just found out probably through a DNA test, that they are an NPE. They somehow figured out what that term means, and you're probably Googling furiously and finding some resources to help you. And now you've run across this podcast, NPE Stories. I just want to let you know there are other resources available as well. There are books, online forums, Facebook groups, podcasts. And I also wanted to mention an online magazine I have not brought up in a while. I have found this online resource so helpful. It's called Severance Magazine. Severance Magazine is edited by BK Jackson, who is also an NPE. And it's an online magazine you can find at severancemag.com. It has a load of resources for us, articles, In fact, if you're interested in contributing an article about your experience, they accept those as well. And there's a list of resources for NPEs, DCPs, and late discovery adoptees. So I'm glad you found us. I understand it is so hard in the beginning and so overwhelming with this new identity change. I've been there too. And I'm glad you're listening. And today we are going to listen to an NPE story. And today I have on Sherilyn. Hi, Sherilyn. Hi. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, Sherilyn. Yes, thank you for having me. And this is episode 184. And today we're going to get into your story. So why don't you tell me about your your family of origin? Like who was in it and a little bit about your childhood. So I was born in 1972 in Austin, Texas. I was always raised to know that my parents were married after I was born. Mm. But for some reason, my mom lived with these this couple in Austin who I was raised to know as my godparents. We'd see them about once a year, visit their house and, and such. But sometime between when I was born and I was about four months old, mm. my mom back to San Antonio, which is where she had been living with my dad. They had met in 71, working for the same company. He was divorced with two children living in another state. A few years older than her, she was two years out of high school. They had gotten a place together, but then when she was pregnant, she ended up in Austin, like I said, living with this couple. 
so within about four months after my birth, she had gone back to San Antonio with him. And then they moved to Houston, where in... 1974, my sister was born. So my sister and I are 13 months apart, to be exact. We're a year, a month, a week, and a day apart. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so um, she was born in Houston. And then about a year after that, they separated. We were always raised with the knowledge that he was abusive, that he was a drunk. There was, you know, violence in the in the home. And when they separated... Jamie, my sister, was still in diapers. And so the agreement was he would take her for the weekend while my mom took me and got settled in a new apartment. Mm. Weekend's over. No, no Jamie. She's no doesn't return. So of course my mom has a job to go to, you know, Monday morning, because now she is a single parent on her own. Well, next weekend comes, no Jamie. A month goes by, no Jamie. I mean, this story was a part of our childhood that he kidnapped her for six months. And yeah, my mom had a heart private detective. You know, she had gone down. They they lived in Corpus. He and his family lived in Corpus, Christie, which is about five hours from Houston. Or maybe it's shorter. I'm not sure. But maybe it's three. Anyway, so I'm, I'm sure she went down there. You know, I know there was a confrontation with my grandmother, an altercation there. And... Anyway, it was six months later when when Jamie finally was back into the home. Well, you know, I'm two, you know, two and a half when she comes back. She's one, one and a half. And from from what we were told, Jamie didn't remember us, you know, and of course I remember her either. And it was not, it was very difficult, I think, for my mother. It was very difficult for Jamie. I've read a lot of of papers. She'd taken us to all kinds of therapy and stuff. You know, apparently my sister just cried for her dad constantly all the time. You know, I wasn't too happy about this person just appearing, you know, crying all the time, you know, from what I hear. And they were divorced shortly after. And so we were always raised that with just my mom, she never, I remember one, one boyfriend that she had growing up. That was it. There was no, no men in our lives. It was just, just us three. You know, she, she was successful, you know, when we were younger and, um, so my sister and I, we are complete opposites. Uh, I have blonde hair. She has brunette. She's a brunette. She has brown eyes. I have hazel eyes. She's long and lean. Um, not long and lean. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little mm-hmm. more muscular. I'm a tomboy, you know, growing up. She was very girly. We just didn't have a lot in common. We were never close. You know, it was very strange. I remember growing up, people would ask we were twins because we looked the same age. You know, we were only 13 months apart. But then people would ask, do we have the same dad? And every time somebody would ask that, my mom would lose it. You know, oh, that's so crass. Why would anybody ask that? Well, you know, turns out they were onto something. So the, the home she bought was around the corner from an elementary school. Only neither one of us went there. I had tested and went to a school that was geared for, it was a program that basically I went to the same, went to kindergarten through fifth grade with almost all the same people, the same core 20 people, because you had to test to be in there. And it didn't matter where you lived in the city. We, you know, it was a special program. And then my sister went to a school for kids with learning disabilities, so um, I think she had some emotional problems as well. 
anyway, so so we didn't grow up going to the same school. We didn't have the same friends. We did play sports together at the local dad's club. You know, unfortunately, my mom would tell coaches if they had me, they had her as well. So that was kind of tough. So we always played on the same team, you know, and I'm sure that's just more convenient for a mom. You can't really be, you know, going to two places at one time. But sports was a very, very big part of our, our lives. You know, we grew up playing, or I grew up playing soccer and softball. And she more did cheerleading when we were younger and while I did the soccer. But we both played fast pitch softball. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom was 21 when I was born. So she was young and you know, always at our, our games, always there. I mean, she might've been on the, on the, uh, the phone, especially once they were portable, but you know, she made a good living. And then when I was in maybe fourth grade, we moved out of that home into a bigger home and uh, a neighborhood that was larger tax bracket, I guess, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Well, fifth grade ends and and there were three junior highs in the city who catered to um the it was not gifted and talented it was, it was a program called vanguard anyway and there were three junior highs that i could go to but you had to apply to be in and and you know in fifth grade the school took us and we did visits with all three and there was one that i just fell in love with well the principal didn't really want to let me in because my conduct grades were atrocious I couldn't sit still in class. I couldn't be quiet. I couldn't, you know, stop messing with people. You know, I was diagnosed hyperactive, very young age. And yeah, I just was always moving, ants in my pants, you know, and always had something to say. Well, so that, that last grading period, I mean, I remember I worked my tail off to just sit on my hands, cover my mouth, do whatever I had to do to get a B in conduct that six weeks because I really wanted to go to that school and earned it, went back to the school and they graded me admission. And I didn't realize though that I had other plans. She had found a private school that she had enrolled me in for sixth grade. Um, I was not happy about it. And I guess going back a little bit, there's, I don't, I've never been close with my mother ever, never been close with my sister. Those two sort of had bonded, and I'm sure it's due to the fact that, you know, she wasn't there for those six months or, or whatever. I mean, I can remember being a, at a very young age and screaming at my mother that I hated her, that I was going to go live with my dad. Well, that was just some abstract concept then. This wasn't someone who we visited. I don't think that we started visiting him and his wife, and, and she had a young daughter that lived with him until maybe third or fourth grade. But I mean, I can remember being in kindergarten, first grade and screaming that, you know, I just, there just was never a, a bond or anything there. Um, she wasn't somebody that I went and told my secrets to or, or anything like that. Did your dad ever get any legal consequences for taking Jamie, kidnapping her for six months? No. And I will get back to that later because I, I'm pretty sure I know why. So now I'm going to this private school. I did not want to go there at all whatsoever. It was not geared toward um, uh, gifted kids at all. It was a work at your own pace type of a place where you sat at a desk facing a wall with like two partitions on either side of you so that you couldn't talk to your neighbor. You were given these workbooks for every subject and expected to do like five pages a day, say. Well, 
I mean, I was bored to tears. So I flew through those workbooks, you know, it was a self-grading type of thing. And so in sixth grade, I did probably two and a half years worth of work. The end of sixth grade, I tried out to be a cheerleader for the school. I, I made it. And that summer, you know, we go to cheerleading camp. Well, I had been told all growing up that I could not get my ears pierced. My ears, they didn't have a fold in them and they were a little larger. They didn't bother me. I didn't ever notice them. The only time it ever became an issue, go swimming and some kid would call me Dumbo. Well, I would dunk them and that would be the end of that. You know, it just wasn't (laughs) something that ever bothered me. And, but it bothered my mom a great deal. So I was always told I could not get my ears pierced unless I agreed to have autoplasty, which is plastic surgery. Your ears to fix that fold because it's considered like a deformity. So that summer, I quickly realized that I wanted my ears pierced. You know, like I said, I had been a tomboy. It wasn't just, you know, wearing earrings wasn't ever a thing I desired until then. So that Christmas, I had the surgery. And, you know, back then, spring break was centered around Easter. And Easter was a time that we would, more often than not, visit them in Corpus, the, the grandmother and, and our, our dad and, and his wife and things. Well, that Easter, I went there. And so I'm in seventh grade. My sister is in sixth. And I remember my grandmother telling me um, what was asking me what was wrong with me. And, and I'm like, what do you mean? She wanted to know why those ears weren't good enough for me. And I'm like, what? Well, like I said, I didn't grow up looking like anyone, nobody. And those my father had big ears. So it was told to me that I was the only feature I had of his and now I didn't have it. So I guess I was too good for them. Well, you know, that's sort of devastating when, you know, I felt like I didn't have a choice. Like I just wanted my ears pierced. <laughs> you know, that's all I cared about, you know, and so much so that when I got out of the surgery and, you know, they got you in this turban thing for like a couple days and, you know, I, I go back to the, doctor they unwrap it it's this big you know thing we are still bruised up and there's really nothing to see and he's giving me this mirror and the doctor's got this shitty look on his the shitty grin on his face and I'm don't see the humor in any of this you know it's painful and and there's blue stuff coming out of my ear and I'm like what is what is wrong like do you know what you're doing can you not see this like messed up and he's just sitting there with this goofy grin on his face and it turns out he pierced my ears during the surgery and it was surgical string coming out of the holes. So he knew how badly I wanted my ears pierced. So yeah, thank you for that because I've never once had an infection. I can wear whatever kind of earrings I want. They'll never close up. But so that was a benefit of that. But, you know, that visit, everybody there made me feel like I was just, I thought I was better than them, you know? And that was sort of a, a constant there. Like I said, he had been married before my mom and had two children. And for some reason, the the stepmother would would bring up, we would be sitting there eating a nice dinner or something. And she would bring up how they didn't have milk to drink or something. And I think she wanted us to feel bad because I had a nice life. You know, like I said, I went to private school. You know, my mom was pretty successful and it didn't make me feel bad for for them, it made me wonder, why do your kids not have milk? Why don't you send them money? You know, like, that's what it made me feel like. Because I, I knew, I always knew that 
there was no financial support coming from them. It was supposed to be some minuscule amount, maybe $200, but my mom didn't enforce it or anything. You know, she didn't, she was well off and, and, you know, like I said, successful. You know, and another thing is, like I said, he had remarried and she had kids, one of whom was very young, younger than we were. And when they got married, she was a baby. And I remember one visit telling her that our dad wasn't her dad. And um, the shit hit the fan, so to speak. You know, the stepmother was furious. To me, I didn't realize it was a secret. You know what I mean? Like, it was just matter of fact. What do you mean? Why would you lie to her? Why would you Why would you say this? Not knowing. And I, I can only imagine what the conversation was behind closed doors that I'm sure my stepmother wanted to, you know, rain on my parade too, but they didn't. Nobody did. Nobody said a word to me. So a year after the, the seventh grade that summer, so I had done like the two years worth of work in sixth grade and then did, you know, another about the same in seventh grade to where I was having to go to the high school. It was, it was to the point where the school had my mom come in and, and told her that I needed to skip eighth grade. And, you know, this wasn't something new. This was a discussion that had been ongoing since elementary school. They had also wanted me to skip every year and always declined, you know, I have a suspicion that it was really only one reason was because she didn't want us two years apart in school. Like I said, my sister had had learning disabilities. And I think she feared that if we were two years apart in school, it would appear as though my sister had been put back. You know, it wasn't so much about me skipping a grade. And and I get that. You know, I wasn't ever resentful or anything. I mean, I liked my classmates. I didn't want to skip. But in seventh grade, she really had no choice. So she agreed. And so I never went to eighth grade. And I was just very, very angry, very angry growing up. Well, there was a time then we lived in Dallas for about a year. And then it was a disaster all the way around. So we packed it up, moved it back to back to Houston, but my mom had actually took me to a place. Back then, it was popular, trendy, whatever, to put your kids in these 30-day treatment facilities. And that's what she did. She, My uncle came over, and next thing I know, we're like in some suburb of Houston at some place, and I'm 15 years old. They're telling me I have to sign myself in, or, or a judge is going to make me be there, and then it's out of my hands. I, I'm just like, what is going on here? And um, they decided I needed to be in the the chemical dependency part because, yes, I was, you know, running around drinking and, and things like that. Anything not to be at home. You know, I think that's a large reason why I played sports. You know, there was a time when I was playing seven sports and, and had two jobs my senior year. You know, I went to this this quote unquote treatment facility. It was it was pretty awful. I refused to participate. That doesn't really get you that far. But you know, kids talking there. So I figured, all right, I'm gonna do my 30 days. I'm gonna be done. I'm not participating. I'm not doing this therapy. I have nothing to say to her. You know, this, I don't know what she thinks is going to happen, but it's not going to be it. Well, so, you know, I remain on the lowest level. I have no privileges. Well, come to find out she's got some kind of insurance. I don't get released in 30 days. I'm still there. So, um, you know, my therapist is like, you know, nobody's letting you out of here. You're going to have to participate. Well, I'm not going to, so I can just tough it out. Six weeks goes by, I'm still there. Two months goes by, I'm still there. And then I find out that she is going to transfer me to a long-term 
facility where I'll be till I'm 18. Well, it was as it was at that point that I needed to figure something else out because I was going to graduate high school when I was 17. There was no way she was going to have me locked up till I was 18. I just wasn't going to go for that, you know? So I started participating so that I could get phone privileges. I get phone privileges and, uh, you know, I, I made them give me the number for my dad because it wasn't, it wasn't a relationship where we talked on the phone ever. I didn't know his phone number. There was no relationship there either. It was just some guy we visited, you know, once or twice a year. Well, I called him and told him where I was, and what was going on. Well, he stepped it into high gear and got me out of that place. And to this day, I know it was more about his hatred for my mother than it had anything to do with me. You know, the two of them never spoke. There was, if they did, we all knew it because you could hear the screaming from across the house. You know, they just, there was no love lost there. Couldn't stand each other. They badmouthed each other growing up. Um, so, you know, this gives him a little, you know, edge up on her. Okay, look, look what I did. I'm going to step in. I'm going to be the hero. They they came and picked me up and there was a few weeks left of 11th grade and I finished school there in that town. And, you know, the summer is happening and it's just not where I want to be at all. You know, I, I don't really like the stepmother. But while I'm there, he, for some reason, shows me their divorce papers. I think the reason he showed me had to do with child support. Because at this point now, he's decided, because a few years prior, you know, when, when my mom had had the baby, she decided, you know what, you owe me a whole bunch of back child support. I'm going to get it. I need it. I didn't need it all these years, but I do now. So they had been back and forth in court. Well, now he he's got me. So he's decided he's not going to, he should not pay anything, you know? And I'm sure that had a lot to do with why he came and got me too. But, you know, it was mostly about them and nothing to do with me. He shows me these divorce papers. And and like I said, I always knew that they were married after I was born. So, you know, showing me these papers and my name being not what I grew up. It ha- I had a different last name in these papers. And it was easily explained to me by telling me that, you know, they were not married until after I was born. Okay, great. Yeah, that wasn't going to work out. Packed my stuff, called my mom, told her to come get me. She happily did. Moved back to Houston for my senior year, which, you know, like I said, my senior year, I think I played seven sports and I had two jobs. You know, I just, anything not to be at home. Um, I graduate and I mean, I just wanted to get out of there. That, that's all, all I wanted to do. Um, so I, I go off to college about two hours away from there. I didn't go to college to go to college. I went to college to get away from my mother. And, you know, my grades aren't aren't well. And before I know it, I am pregnant and in school. And we decide not to tell anyone. We decide we're going to give the baby up for adoption. We go to San Antonio to an adoption agency. We pick a couple out. We're going to all do this very hush-hush, not tell anyone. And I even went home for Christmas. And my son was born January 17th and I was home for Christmas taking off Christmas lights from the house the first week of January and nobody knew, not, nobody knew that I was pregnant, just he and I. I had him in January and a side note, so those doctors in the news that um, inseminate their patients, I, the doctor who delivered my son is one of those. Dr. Mm. Kim McMorris and Nacogdoches, just a weird coincidence. But yes, I was already pregnant when I started seeing him. So that didn't happen to me. 
but he is one of those doctors who is, you know, mm. has all these children out there. But anyway, oh. yes, yeah, strange coincidence. Oh, but, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but so he was born and then, you know, we were in the hospital. The couple came from New Jersey. We decided, you know what, we're not doing this. Um, we're going to keep the baby. We called our parents. It was a whole thing, you know, because no one knew we were even having a baby. They came. So we, me and my son ended up going back home with my mother. And the father stayed there in Nacogdoches for the semester. And so when we were at home that semester, uh, I don't know, she was gone. And I started snooping through her office and found a birth certificate that had just my name on it just her name and my last name was her maiden name no no father listed and for whatever reason even though i knew they weren't married till after i was born i knew when i saw this paper that that the person that they said was my dad wasn't that that's why i didn't look like anybody that she'd just been lying that story that she told us about my sister being kidnapped and and the way that they they told it every time was, oh, the only reason he took her was because she was in diapers. No, the only reason he took her was because she was his and I wasn't. Because there was no reason to keep telling us it was because she was in diapers. I never wondered why it was her and not me, you know? The whole thing with the ears and and I just, I knew that I knew that, that that's what that meant. And that, that, you know, I've heard all these podcasts where these people say there was something missing and there was, there was something missing. There was something that I just, it's like everybody is in on something that you're not, you know? And, and I just, I didn't look like anybody. And, and me, this piece of paper meant that that's what it was. I'd never once ever thought that it never crossed my mind. We didn't have the same dad, even though people asked us. So my mom gets back and I confront her and she is livid why am I digging through her stuff? Get out of her office and, and all this. And I'm like, I don't care. She told me I was crazy. That was my father. You know, it was just these wild ideas. Well, you know, we pretty much packed it up and I had my boyfriend come get us and we, me and the baby moved to Nacogdoches. I sat down, I wrote Tommy, my dad, I wrote him a letter. He never responded. Um, you know, come to find out, the deal was that they they never actually did get married. What had happened was they got divorced. In Texas, there's something called common law marriage. So what they did was they she filed for divorce, saying that they were common law married. When she did that, she backdated this quote-unquote common law marriage to prior to my birth. In Texas, that automatically generated a new birth certificate for me, which was the birth certificate I had always seen with his name on it. And my last name is his last name. Automatically generated a new birth certificate because then I was considered a child born during the marriage of, which made him automatically my legal father. So he did not have to adopt me. Nobody had to sign their rights away. They just sort of tricked the court. And I believe that he went along with that in exchange for my mom not pressing any charges for the kidnapping of my sister. And my uncle verified that as well later. Turns out my grandmother knew, my mom's brother knew. It wasn't a secret. You know, everybody in Corpus knew. But at this point, my mom is denying it all. It, it's even a thing. Like, it's all in my imagination. I'm making things up. 
It's not true. Do I have any DNA? You know, this is 1995. There's no DNA testing going on. She's like, how do you know that? This type of thing, you know? And in reality, I didn't have any reason other than I just knew. Because in my mind, they all would be an apology. That's all I wanted. Just say you're sorry. And it took a little bit. My mom, she's never really admitted it. But I actually got her drinking and was able to get a name out of her and a, okay, there was this one night that this happened and maybe, but no, he's your dad type thing. So I got this name, Mike Foster, out of her. And this was 1997. I got this name out of her. You know, there's no, the internet, you know, she thought he lived in Dallas or something. Well, you know how many Mike Fosters there were in the Dallas area? I mean, his name might as well have been John Smith. You know, it was, it was just ridiculous. About that time, uh, there was an episode of Friends where Phoebe finds out her dad isn't her dad. And she goes over there in the cab with Chandler and Joey. And she doesn't go inside. She just sits there. And they're like, aren't you going to go? That's his house. And she said, no, you know, that, that that was enough. Just knowing that's where he was, was enough. And for me, that was enough then. And it was enough. I, I knew his name. I knew where he was. You know, if everyone, because no matter what she said, she denied telling me that. She denied to my sister she told me that. You know, I'm like, where did I get the name then? I just made it up. No. She just wouldn't admit to any of it. Well, so I lived in Austin and every day I drove by the furniture store that they had worked for in, in San Antonio. This man had worked there too, she had said. So five years go by. And I decide, I don't know, I get a wild hair. And I decide I'm going to stop in this furniture store. I don't know what I thought I was going to do. I had no plan, but I'm just formulating it as I go in. I go in and I, I asked the salesperson if there was a manager there who had worked, who had worked the longest. She says, oh, you want to talk to Chuck? He's been working for the company for 20 years. Yep. That's, the, or 30 years, 30 years. Yep. That's the guy I want to talk to you because I'm about 25. And so Chuck takes me back into his office and he's your typical Texas good old boy. You know, he's got a cowboy hat hanging on the, the wall there. And, and he's like, you know, what can I do for you? You know? And I said, well, I told him I was throwing a, a anniversary party for my parents. It was uh, their wedding anniversary and they had met years ago working for this furniture company. And I wanted to invite people that used to work with them and so, you know, I'm looking for people and he's like, oh, who are you looking for? And I told him Mike Foster. And he's like, oh, that's a good name. That's a good name. All right, hold on. He makes a phone call, asks a few questions. He hangs up. He's like, all right, here's where he is. Wrote down that he owned a, uh, a bar and a, a, a furniture store in the Dallas area. Writes it down, gives me the information, then sits back in his chair, throws his cowboy boots up on the desk and says, all right, now tell me why you're really here. I'm like, uh, <laughs> But <laughs> I thought I was so slick, you know, <laughs> I wasn't slick at all. And so I said, well, you know, he caught me so off guard. My face turned red. I'm like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure that's my dad. And he said, well, okay. You know, I don't know what you're hoping to find, but I knew him back in the day. I don't, I don't know what kind of man he is now, but you know, I, I don't know if you're going to find what you're looking for. I said, well, it's a good thing. I'm not really looking for anything. You know, I, I've known about this for five years and this is the first time I've ever even done anything about it. So he's like, okay, well, you know, we talked for a little bit and went on my way. You know, I had known for five years before I ever walked in that store. 
So now fast forward another five years because <laughs> I don't do anything about it. That was enough. Just knowing that now I knew where he was in case I wanted to do something. So another five years goes by and it's Thanksgiving and I'm now pregnant with my second son. I'm 30 and we're in, my boyfriend and I were in the Dallas area for the Thanksgiving break, wanted to get out of town. You know, he had moved, he had moved around, you know, like I had done a little research before we got there and I told my boyfriend that I probably wanted to go and meet this guy or at least see him. And he's like, okay, whatever you want to do. So we decided on Black Friday, we were going to go in this furniture store that I had narrowed down these two furniture stores that I, I was sure he owned. And so I'm thinking Black Friday, the place is going to be packed. You know, it's not going to be any big deal. Well, we go in there and there's nobody else in there. We're the only customers. And this man comes out of the office and, you know, super friendly, was like, hey, can I help y'all? And we're like, no, we're just looking. And and right then I just got this panicky feeling to my boyfriend. I'm like, let's go right now. You know, and he's like, okay. And I mean, I bolted out that door so fast. He wasn't so fast. And I get to the car and I turn around and I see he's talking to him in the store. I'm just like, what is going on here? You know, next thing I know, they're both coming outside. I'm, I'm in the car. Like, oh my gosh, this is like not happening, you know? And, and this man is coming to my side of the car. I rolled down the window, like maybe two inches, turned my face to the side. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he's like, well, uh, Russell here tells me that uh, you're my daughter. Just like, what the hell, you know? I said, let's go, you know? <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah, are you Mike Foster? And he's like, I am. And I'm like, oh, then, yep, I guess you are. You know, it's just odd and awkward. And just thankfully, I didn't have any preconceived ideas of what was going to happen. You know, I'm a five by the seat of my pants kind of girl. Well, so we're talking in this parking lot and he's so excited. Like, like he knew about me my whole life and was so excited. And we're out there 30 minutes and finally he's like, listen, I'm going to lock up. I don't need to be here. We all follow me to my house. And I'm like, sure. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. We're not following you anywhere. We're leaving, you know, because I mean, I'm just uncomfortable. My stomach hurts. You know, I just, it's weird. It's all weird. And, and so he, he tells Russell, okay, I have your word. You're going to follow me. He's like, yes, sir. You know, we'll follow you. So we do. I mean, he, my boyfriend pretty much forced me to go and we go to his house and it was so comfortable and so like I'd known him forever. There's all these pictures on the wall. Turned out he had three kids, daughter that was about a year older than me, a daughter that was about a year younger than me, and then a son. And we're talking and talking. And he says something that the first time he said it didn't much bother me. It just noted it. Then he said it another time. And now it bothers me. The third time I was like, look, what he said was, you know, I wanted to find you all these years, but I didn't know how. I stopped him right in his tracks and said, listen, if I found you, Mike Foster, who there's 250 of in the phone book here, you could have found me because I knew for a fact that I was the only person on the planet with my name, my first and last name. There isn't anybody else. So I was way easier to find. So if I found you, that's, I don't want to hear that. He's mm -hmm. like, you know what? Thanks for calling me on my shit. You're 100% correct. You know, I could have. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I, I, I asked him about, you know, what had happened because my mother isn't somebody that's going to put herself in a 
in a negative light. And I always thought that was strange that I had, I got her to admit the one night that there could be an alternative story. She chalked it up to a one night stand that that's just not, not something she would do. Well, it turns out that's because it wasn't. So according to him, he was separated from his wife. They had a daughter, they separated, he had an apartment and my mother and him were seeing each other for months. Well, the reason why she said it was a one night stand because she had a boyfriend that she lived with that whole time. So what what's worse, cheating on your boyfriend, you know, having an affair behind his back or one night stand? I guess she thought the one night stand was a lot worse. So that's, I mean, a lot better view for her. So no, he said they had a relationship and that, you know, he knew she was pregnant and that she said she was leaving. That's why she went to Austin. That couple she lived with who turned out to be my godparents were actually a couple who had raised their children and became a, a couple who provided a home to unwed mothers, women who were pregnant and, and were unsure what they were going to do. So that's why she ended up living there. That's where they came from. So he said, she had me, he didn't hear anything. And then next thing he knew, she was back in San Antonio. She called him and said, listen, you know, Tommy and I are his baby. We're getting married. I can't ever talk to you again. See you later. He packed his stuff, moved back in with his wife. They had two more kids and then ended up getting divorced later. But then he also said that there was a point in time that he ran into her in Houston and he, she was with us. He said we looked about seven or eight and that she tells him that she's divorced now and that uh, she could use some help. He's like, what are you talking about? That's not my child. She said, yes, look at her. Yes, it is. He says, you know, he was kind of a jerk. He handed her 20 bucks, said he would call his lawyer and get back to her. Of course, you know, never did. And, uh, you know, he said he was freshly divorced. I mean, things are what they are. And I don't, I'm not angry about any of those type of things. I am mad that, 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 no one could say they were sorry. You know, my mother still never said she was sorry. Not not once, not ever. Doesn't own up to doing anything wrong. Um, like I said, I never spoke to Tommy ever again. Uh, so uh, when we're there talking to Mike Foster, he goes in the kitchen and he comes back with the cordless phone and he's got somebody on the phone. He's super excited. He gives me this phone, tells me my sister wants to talk to me. Okay, now it's just too much for me. So I talk to her and she's like over the moon, can't believe it. She's got this sister and can't wait to meet me and all this. At that point, it's just overload and I want to leave, you know. And so, you know, we ended it cordially or whatever we left. And, you know, he had my cell phone number. He called me and I think I spoke with him two more times and then it was just too much for me. You know, I thought it was weird. How, how do you get your daughter on the phone and say, Hey, my daughter's here. Talk to her. It was all just, this may sound strange to people, but my stomach hurt about it. Like hurts now thinking about it. <laughs> I'm just not, you know, I didn't have parents yeah. I was close to and, you know, you know, having no drawn up scenario in my mind, this was just, it was just a lot. So I hate to say it, but another five years went by. <laughs> so another five years goes by. We moved to Houston. I get on the computer. I decide, oh, now I have two kids, two more kids with, with Russell and I have two kids. And and I get on the internet and I start poking around and get in my head. Okay, I guess I guess five years is my number. I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, in my head, I'm, I'm going to get back in touch. You know, I'm comfortable now. 
Well, he died the year before. So that was not an option, you know, and I, I don't regret how I handled it, you know, because that's all I could do at the time, you know, I couldn't do anything more. I wasn't capable of having a relationship with him. I wasn't, I am super glad that I did get to meet him, you know, but you can't miss what you didn't have. You know, I, I never had a daddy. I never, never had that relationship. What I did was I, I sort of sat with that for a while. And then I reached out to Kelly, the sister that I had talked to on the phone that time. Well, she was, you know, excited to talk to me and had a birthday coming up, invited me. So I had one of my friends come down from Austin. We, we go to her birthday party. So I guess I'm 40 now at this point. No, I'm 35. I'm 35. That's right. I'm 35. And um, so we go to her party. And because what I'm dying to know is how, how does that work? How does your dad call you on the phone and you're just like, got a sister and now you talk to her and everything was just okay. You know, I needed to know that. And so, you know, the party goes on and, you know, as the people are leaving or whatever, and I get her alone and I asked her, she starts laughing. She was like, Oh, I'm so glad you asked me. So according to her growing up, their dad, they, she was very, very close to her dad. And Growing up, he would always tell them whenever they were bad or or they got into some trouble, he'd say, no worries. I have another daughter. I will trade you in so fast. You know? <laughs> and I don't, I don't need this kind of headache. You know, I'm going to be like, dad, you know, stop. So when he called her that day, he's like, hey, you remember how, you know, I always used to joke around. He's like, I wasn't really kidding. She's here. And the other thing is, and this, uh, this is just, you know, one of those things, well, I guess their tradition for Thanksgiving was that he would go to Houston. That's where his two daughters lived and would spend Thanksgiving with them. They would go shopping on Black Friday and then he would come home on Saturday. That's how their Thanksgivings went. He wasn't supposed to be in the store that day. This particular year, he went there for Thanksgiving, spent the day with them. And that evening, old Kelly, he was going to go back to Irving, which is where he lived between Dallas and Fort Worth. She's like, what are you talking about? We've got shopping, got a big plans tomorrow. He goes, nope, I gotta go home. I'm gonna go home. She's like, are you sick? Is there something wrong? Nope. Do you have a woman there? You know, what, what's happening? And he's like, no, I just, I need to go home. So there was some, some kind of pull for him to be there because he wasn't supposed to be there that day. Um, and so that's when he called her, he said, you know, that, that daughter, well, this is why, this is what I was supposed to be here for. She came in the store today, you know? And so that, that always stuck with me that, you know, there's these, you know, outside forces, you know, telling you to be somewhere that, you know, had he not been there, I don't know that I would have made another effort. All, all these things happened for us to be at that place, that time, that day. And, and so Kelly and I have talked throughout the years, her sister, the doesn't want anything to do with me. Their mother was still alive at that point. And I think she felt some sort of betrayal, you know, because like I said, I'm in between. She's Kelly's a year older than me and Christy's a year younger than me. So obviously I was born during their marriage to the, their parents' marriage. And, but now their mother's passed away, but I've never reached out to her. She's never reached out to me either. The, the weird thing is my middle son went to private school here and her boys are about the same age as my two younger ones. They played each other in sports, the two schools. We were right there, you know, in the same places in the same time. 
still never met her, still never talked to her or anything. Uh, my mother still to this day has not apologized, doesn't think she did anything wrong. All I can get out of her is I did the best I could at the time. And really, I just want to, I just want an apology. You know, I was really angry about it for a long time. I can't say that I'm still not angry because I am. Um, what has helped is I've had a friend for about the last 15 years who, ironically enough, almost the same scenario happened to her. You know, having that, that person to talk to about it and, and, because people don't understand, you know, especially my siblings. Like shortly after after finding out my sister and I were somewhere and I introduced her to someone as my half-sister and she got offended. Well, who are you to be offended? You are my half-sister. You know, sorry if that offends you. How do you think I feel? It's a general sense of get over it, you know, and, yes. and, and okay, there's nothing for you to get over. That That's why you say that. So yeah. I want you to know that I sent a podcast to my mother a year ago, not, he was saying something to me and my normal comeback is like, well, if you don't want me to be so mad, say you're sorry. You know, I mean, that's the, the thing to everything. But this case, I sent her a link. I sent her a link to the podcast and uh, not thinking for a second she listened to it. And I got back a text from her, said she listened to it. She didn't know there was a term for it and that she was glad, you know, to, uh, um, I'm, I was trying to find it to read it to you. Okay. Here we go. Okay. So I sent it to my mother and kind of in a way to shut her up that day. And she actually listened to it and said, thanks for sending me the podcast links. I've listened to two of them. I sent her yours and uh, Dawn's podcast. I forgot what it's called right now, but yeah. sent her an episode of his and an episode of yours. And she says, I've listened to two of them. Did not know there was a name for what you were dealing with. I do have empathy for you and I'm willing to answer your questions. I can only tell you what I know and remember, and I'm prayerful you can hear me and have the resolution you need. And that is closer to anything I've ever gotten, any acknowledgement of how I felt. Mm -hmm. So to anyone listening out there, maybe these podcasts aren't just for us. You know, maybe they're for the people who don't understand as well. You know, because I really think that she did understand. You know, like others, I never heard of an NPE. I only figured out what there was a term a year and a half ago and, and even through the email and this is how long it took to do this, <laughs> you know, but, but the, these podcasts, I think, can, and, you know, what you're doing just for us, I think, but because I really do think that she does have an understanding. Don't know that I'll ever get an apology, but I think that's as close as I'll ever get. And that's what I'm what I'm getting in my emails. I mean, I get a lot of emails from NPEs, but also family members. And if they just have the willingness, sometimes they write me, whether it's a newfound sibling or a, you know a new birth father or an original, like someone from the raising family. They'll write and they'll be like, okay. I'm starting to get it, even though it hasn't happened to them, is just empathy for understanding what this feels like. Yes. Sherilyn, if people wanted to contact you, could they do that? Yes. What is the best way to get in touch with you? Email S-S-H-A-R-I-L-Y-N at hotmail.com. I will put the link, your email address down below if you just scroll down on whatever 
podcasting app you're looking at, you'll be able to see Sherilyn's email address. Thank you so much for explaining so well what this was like for you and how it felt. And I just really appreciate you coming on and sharing today. Thank you. I appreciate it. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us. Mm -hmm.